Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. The fact of the matter is the best talent, the most qualified mentors, the people who are going to take you to the next level are very likely going to not be in your backyard. And so you have to do something remote or something virtual like this to get in front of them. I wouldn't let your Zoom burnout keep you from achieving everything you can achieve. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. I have another fantastic, fantastic replay of my Wednesday Q&A that happens on Facebook. If you go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. You can be there live with me. Get your questions answered live. Would you like me to coach you? Go there and you can ask me questions all you want for the time that I'm there. I will answer them for you. We will have a great conversation and I will hopefully, hopefully help you a ton. And this is no exception, guys. I had a great one that I'm playing for you today. I'm excited about it. In this particular Q&A, we talked about virtual driving for dollars. You know what that is? That's getting on Google, Google Earth, or just Google and, and zooming in on a, on a certain location and just sort of like virtually walking that location and looking for properties or virtually driving it in this case, right? Virtual driving for dollars. Does it make sense? Does it work? Is it worthwhile? We talk about it. Canceling contracts. What does that look like? Is that a total, like just terrible, terrible thing to do? Is it awful? How is it done right? How is it done wrong? We talked about that. Investing with your IRA. We talked about probate marketing. We talked about finding a mentor. Uh, and many, many more things. This was a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. I give you my latest Wednesday Q&A. Okay, we're live. Uh, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, we are back for another Wednesday Q&A. I will say the very popular and high demand Wednesday Q&A. Um, seriously, though, actually, this is getting pretty pretty popular. So I'm stoked about that. Uh, you guys seem to be enjoying it, which is awesome. And so that's cool. That's exactly why I do it. And I'm glad that you guys enjoy it uh, because it makes it a lot more fun for me to do when you guys are showing up, asking questions. I'm getting a lot of questions during the week, which is all super cool. So thank you for that. And I am also super excited. I have been working my butt off behind the scenes to bring to you a, a four-week program that I have uh, put together. It's really honestly been years in the making, like years in the making. Everything that I've learned as an investor uh, over the last 12 years, 13 years now, and uh, specifically what I've learned uh, since my business took off and I got over that seven-figure mark in profits. And uh, the folks that I have taught and mentored and coached and, and been in contact with and gotten to know all of their trial and error, all of their successes, all their failures, and all of that, uh, I, I bring to this program. It's very comprehensive. Uh, and I encourage you to check it out. You can go and check it out. And it's starting soon. So 
If you go to seven figure investor, that's the word seven, seven figure investor.com. You can check it out for yourself. You can see what it's all about. Like I said, I'm excited about it. It's starting soon. It's going to be epic. Uh, now is the time. Uh, the real estate world is as exciting as it's ever been. And, and you really should have someone in your corner helping you navigate, uh, pointing out all of the landmines and helping you avoid all the mistakes that are totally avoidable. And they are, there's a lot of mistakes mistakes that are very avoidable. You're going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, but why make the mistakes that have been made a million times before you? Why, why, why continue making those mistakes? Um, they say success leaves clues, and I want to decipher those clues for you and help you get around the mistakes and get to your goals and get to profit faster than you ever could on your own. And I believe I can do that. So go and check it out. Seven Figure Investor, the word seven, all typed out as a word. And uh, we're going to we're going to get rock and roll on that program very, very soon. So go check it out before it's too late. All right. Let's get into today's questions. And again, like I said, we've gotten some things that were sent to us um, throughout the week. I think there was maybe one in here that we didn't get to last week. So I want to I want to get that to you, too. Uh, But if you happen to hop in here while I'm answering another question or going through something, just start typing your questions in the chat and I will uh, prioritize those. They will go right to the top. I've got uh, uh, some background help here where they're helping me uh, prioritize your questions live. And so we will do that. So just pop them in the chat and we'll get at them. Okay, first question. Is virtual driving for dollars a reliable means of locating potential properties for wholesale deals? Will the amount uh, with the amount of time that goes by before the images are updated, it seems this method could be a waste of time. Um, yeah, I know people who do this, and it's typically people who don't live in the market that they're trying to buy in, and they don't have boots on the ground, and it's like better than nothing. I will say I was recently looking at some houses that were about three hours away from me, and I was virtually, I wasn't driving for dollars, but I was trying to virtually check out the house, check out the houses around it. And I noticed when I looked down in the bottom right corner, it was a Google image that had a copyright or whatever they whatever they do where it was date stamped basically um 2022 which means it was only a month old if that it wasn't even quite a month old when i was looking at it so all the google images are not out of date and i think this virtual driving for dollars has some value i, I don't think it's a waste of time but it's certainly not as good as someone driving the streets um physically driving them right now right that's that's optimal but if you don't have that option, because maybe you, maybe like for me, I'm in Michigan, right? By six o'clock, it's dark out. And if I worked until six and had to go into work before the sun came up, kind of a thing, it would be hard for me to drive for dollars if I was bootstrapping my business and I didn't have anybody working for me and I didn't know how to pay anyone to get help. Like I might have to virtual drive for dollars even in my own market because I just don't have daylight at my disposal. Now, you know, you can go on the weekends, obviously. But again, if you're away from the market that you're trying to invest in and you don't have any money to pay anybody and you don't know anybody there, you might have to do virtual driving for dollars. And I, I think it's worthwhile. I don't think it's the highest and best use of your time necessarily, but I don't think it's a complete waste of time, right? So it's somewhere in the middle. It's not a total waste of time. Probably other things you could do to get deals a little easier or better that are a little bit more reliable. So, um, that's my two cents on it. I know people who do it, and I think it's actually kind of a cool concept. And I'm, I would definitely 
try to use it, but I, I don't use it for driving for dollars. I use it more to verify the neighborhoods. If I'm not familiar, I want to do like a virtual walkthrough on the neighborhood and walk around it and see what's around, what major, you know, hospitals and stores and freeways and things, just kind of get a sense of what's happening. Uh, I use it and I, and I think it's useful for that. And I would use it for driving for dollars if I really had to, but you know, it's, it's kind of up to you, but sometimes those are not that old. Like I said, I was using it the other day. It was from like the month I was in. So pretty cool. Okay. Next question. Uh, I am just learning about wholesaling. How does this private financing work? Let's say I find a nice property for $50,000 and the value is $65,000. Will a private lender see the value and thus lend $50,000 for the buy? What are the usual terms for this sort of thing? Also, if the wholesaler acquires private money and cannot re and cannot reassign a contract within a certain amount of time, what happens? The wholesaler is screwed, question mark. In other words, what do wholesalers do in this situation? Okay, there's a whole lot going on with this question. And some of the question is, there's a misconception, I think. And so I'm gonna try to navigate through. The original part of the first part of the question, says how does okay they're just learning about wholesaling they're they're asking about private financing for a fifty thousand dollar property that's worth uh sixty five thousand i don't think when you're telling me this that you're saying that the arv after repair value is sixty five thousand i think what you're saying is maybe the house in the as is condition is 65 you're getting it for 50 and just for the sake of argument real quick i'm just going to say the house is going to be worth like a hundred thousand if it was renovated just so we can have a, a, a kind of a follow a logical path here um because anybody who's going to finance this they are interested in what the house is worth right now but they're very interested in what the arv is because if you buy a house for 50 and let's just say it is worth 65 as it sits but it's only worth 75 all you know in in the best condition it could be in nobody's going to probably lend on that it's not a good that's not a good property for a financing company they're going to say there's not enough you didn't buy it low enough for us to feel comfortable but the financing side is sort of weird in this context because as a wholesaler doing purely assignments which is what you reference here assigning properties you don't need to finance it that's half of the beauty of being a wholesaler is that you don't have to finance these properties. So you get them under contract, you find a buyer who wants to buy it for a higher price and you assign your interest in that purchase agreement, you assign it to the buyer and they have to get financing for the property, not you. So wholesalers, you know, there's there's some exceptions to this, and it's it, we could go down a whole rabbit hole here about wholesalers and whether or not they need money to buy houses or things. But in the purest sense, you're learning about wholesaling. Okay, so a wholesaler does not finance the property. So your first part of your question is sort of moot, doesn't matter, because you don't need financing. You're going to find a buyer and you're going to assign it. Okay, so that's one thing. The second part of your question is, I, I, it sounds to me like you're concerned, you get this thing under contract and you can't uh, assign it, right? Nobody, nobody wants to buy it from you for a higher than what you got under contract for. Um, in that case, you're not screwed as a wholesaler. You have the option to cancel the contract provided you have a purchase agreement that gives you some sort of an out, 
right? And I'm not saying, man, the worst thing you can be is a wholesaler who's constantly canceling contracts because you don't know what you're doing. You're, si- you're, you're signing them for too much. You can't assign them because no buyer is going to pay what you agreed to pay the seller. And then you have to cancel, right? That's like amateur hour. It's, it's borderline unethical if you do it in knowing that you can't assign it, which I don't think you're saying that. Um, but if you have to cancel a contract, it's a big problem for the seller and they're mad if you left them with the impression that you were definitely going to buy it and there was no way you were not going to buy it. And they will get that impression unless you explicitly tell them otherwise. Okay. So if I just say, here's a purchase agreement, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, I agree to buy this for 50,000. You agree to sell it for 50,000. Let's sign our names on the contract. And then I leave. What should they think? They should think you're going to buy it. They should not think that there's any reason you're going to cancel that contract. But what you should do if you sign a contract for an amount that you're not positive, positive, you can find a buyer for. Typically what we do, even though we've been doing this forever, we do hundreds of deals a year, like we know what we're doing. We still very often, most of the time, will have a conversation with a seller that goes something like this. This is a very short version of a longer conversation, but it goes something like this. Mr. And Mrs. Seller, uh, you want $65,000 for your property. We've had this conversation. I know that you're not willing to go below 65,000. I was only planning on offering you maximum 50,000 at this at this meeting. So here's what I would like to propose. Let's sign a contract for 65,000, which is the price that you want. You know that this is $15,000 more than I was planning on spending that I was authorized to spend, but I I really want to help you. I understand your situation. I understand your challenges and this is where you repeat back to them what their what their challenges are, what their problems are. And you say, I don't know that I can actually close at 65,000, but here's what I proposed to you and here's what I want to do. If you can give me two weeks, just two weeks, I'm going to go talk to my lenders. I'm going to go talk to my partners. I'm going to sit down with my contractors and I'm going to go over all the numbers very, very, very carefully. Now that I've seen the inside of the house, I can come back to them with really good information. And I think there's a chance we can get to the 65,000. I can't guarantee that. So if you can give me two weeks, I will come back to you and we'll have a very honest conversation, the two of us. I'll either say, Mr. Seller, I can buy your house for 65. Let's move forward. I've talked to all my partners, investors, and everybody. We all agree we can make this happen. Or I will say, I've talked to my partners, my investors, my contractors. It's just too high. We're we're not going to be able to get to 65. And we can talk about a reduction of price or we can cancel the contract. It's totally in your court at that point what you want to do, but I want to just give you a fair and honest assessment of what the most that we can do once I go back and I just take a couple of weeks to really go through the numbers and really figure out my situation. Can you give me that time? A realtor is going to ask you for three months minimum, and they're going to have you under contract for three months. I just want two weeks. I'll come back. We'll have an honest conversation. If at that point it doesn't make sense for us, we'll part as friends. No harm, no foul. Does that sound fair? They almost always say yes. Okay. So that's how you handle it in a nutshell when you're talking to the sellers and you feel like there's a chance you might have to cancel because for whatever reason you signed it a little higher than you wanted to or something goes wrong, like you can have that conversation. If you handle it right in the beginning, you'll significantly reduce or eliminate the hard feelings at the end of the day. So that's how you handle that. Okay. Next question uh, from Mike Aziz. Hey, man, welcome back. I appreciate it. Mike is a return. Uh, 
Q&A listener participant. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming back. Okay. Uh, Mike says, Mike, how are you? I'm great, man. Thank you. I was listening to your po- uh, latest podcast on bigger pockets, and you mentioned that you use postcards, cold calling, radio, and PPC. What percent from highest to lowest do you use these marketing strategies? I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. I'll tell you from highest to lowest, which ones make us the most money, because I don't think you really care wh- how how much volume we're doing as much as you care which ones are the most profitable that I would suggest other people use. Um, and if I'm wrong, just put it in the text, you are dead wrong. I want to know the volume because I can do that too. Um, <clears throat> since I've been on bigger pockets, we have significantly almost to the point of reducing to nothing our postcards. And I could get into that conversation if anybody's interested, uh, but I'll give you top down. Number one for us right now, highest revenue generating market strategy or market um, marketing source is PPC far and away, not even close. PPC is numero uno. Um, Number two is radio. Uh, We have paused our cold calling campaign because the the company that we use for cold calling went under, so we're not doing that anymore. And so right now, PPC, then radio, then follow-up. Okay, don't forget that one. I may not have mentioned on bigger pockets, but follow up is probably third. Those are the probably the top three that we're doing right now that's working for us in that order. PPC, radio, um, follow up on old leads. So hopefully that answers your question, Mike. Okay, uh, next question from Rodney. Hey, Rodney, what's up, man? Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. I have a self-directed IRA with approximately 150K. There are lots of regulations around using it for real estate, but I'm better off. I'm sorry, for real estate, but am I better off just buying a single property, all cash, using the self-directed IRA, or can I use that money as a down payment for multiple properties? I think I have a non-recourse lender in order to do that. I appreciate your advice. Okay, I'm just gonna say right off the bat, I am not a self-directed IRA expert. I'm not a CPA. I don't wanna give you advice about self-dealing. However, if you know that you can purchase properties for yourself out of your IRA, which I don't think you can, but if you can, if I'm wrong, I think it's much better to use that money for down payment on multiple properties rather than buying all cash for one. I always think that's the right answer, and I think it is. I think it's mathematically, you know, pretty sound advice. Uh, it's advice that I was given a long time ago. It's advice that I've heard a lot of other people give, and it is, in fact, I think the right thing to do. Um, if you are extremely, extremely, extremely risk averse. And you don't care if you can make more money with multiple properties using that 150,000. You feel you sleep better at night. In fact, you can sleep only if you're in it all cash and and no debt and no liens, then that's fine, right? You have to be able to sleep at night. But if you're talking about from a business case standpoint and you want to maximize that money, I say take that 150 and make it a down payment for several properties. That's 100% the way to go, in my opinion and most people's opinion. I don't think you even think it's that controversial. It's pretty much what everyone says. So, and I agree with everyone in this case. All right, let me take a quick drink here. All right, need you. How you doing, man? Thank you for your question. Curious, why did you reduce your postcards? Okay, I knew that would get questions. Okay, here's why. I've said this on this on this Q&A before, but for the for those of you who were listening and, and you were not around, you didn't hear it, you missed it. The reason I did that was postcards for my company for years 
were the cash cow. That's where we made the vast, vast majority of our money. I got very, very good at postcards. I understand the messaging. I understand the cadence. I know, I know how to run those campaigns. But in Michigan, when COVID hit, we were we had a more extreme reaction here in this part of the country to COVID than than some other places. Um, so much so that back then when it first hit, right at the beginning of I think it was 2020, 2020 maybe, when it first hit, uh, people were not opening their mail. They were taking their mail out of the mailbox with like salad tongs, right? Like just grippers. They were putting gloves on grabbing it. They didn't want to touch their mail. And so our mail marketing strategy tanked. It just went off a cliff. It stopped producing anything. And me and my partner quickly eliminated the mail completely back then. We eliminated it. And when we did that, because everyone was sitting at home and people were worried about losing their jobs, our PPC skyrocketed. So like mail would produce this kind of volume, this kind of revenue. PPC was here when COVID hit, it went like this and mail like just disappeared and PPC took the place of mail in terms of the amount of like calls we were getting, the amount of revenue we were making. And the difference between direct mail and PPC, and though I'm still a huge fan of mail, by the way, and I think that it's still the right answer most of the time. But the difference is when you send out mail, you get calls, inbound calls, but it's more like you solicited them and then they called you and they're either saying, don't ever send me this card again, or what do you want from me? Or why do you want my property? And it's a lot of like junk calls, right? You're not really going to buy their property. PPC is different. PPC is they went out to look for you on the internet. They typed in something like sell my house fast in Michigan or sell my house fast in Iowa, wherever you live. And, and they're, and then they're, they're getting that they're filling out a form on the website. We're getting pinged that there's a form fill or they're calling the number that they get when they see us in Google. We have our number up there. They're calling that and they're like, Hey, I saw your ad. I want to sell my house, right? It's a big difference between someone calling you and saying, Hey, I saw your ad. I need to sell my house right now. And you guys buy fast, right? How soon can you come out here and look at my house? That call versus, uh, I got some postcard in the mail. What's it all about? I, who told you I'm selling my house? Like, don't, don't ever send me mail again. Like, why do you want my house? What do you, have you been watching me? Like, what do you know about me? Like that call, those are the calls you get when you send out mail sometimes, or a lot of times. And then the PPC are very much more about like, Hey, I'm looking for you. Can you please come and help me? And so we haven't dove back into direct mail because we don't have a lot of inbound calls anymore. It's a lot of form fills on our website because of PPC. So, we haven't introduced it because uh, we we don't want to spend the money right now because we're we're so much we're more profitable now than we were when we were sending out the mail because um, we were spending a lot on mail and so our volume went down our revenue went down top level revenue went down a little bit but profits went way up and so we're more profitable now we make we literally make more now at the end of the month or end of the year than we did when revenue was a little higher and it's like we're sort of doing 20 percent of the work to make 80 percent of the profit so we just haven't gone back to it yet in time i believe that we will i'm, I'm quite certain that we will eventually but we're just sort of waiting and seeing what the market does we're, we don't need to i guess is the bottom line if ppc wasn't producing we would have no choice we would be mailing again but we're just we're just kind of being a little cautious. That's all. 
Long answer to a short question. There's more to it. Like if we ever sat down over a beer, we could have like a two hour conversation. But that's the that's the nuts and bolts of it. Okay, Juan uh, has a question. Hey, Juan, thanks for joining us here. I appreciate it. Uh, The question is, I've heard that working on probate is complex. Would you recommend taking a specific course focusing on this or just learning as opportunities arise? I'm always a fan of shortcutting your learning and going to someone who's doing it really, really well and figuring out what they what they are doing and then just doing that. So I think, again, success leaves clues, right? I think it's always best to go that route if you really want to focus. Now, if you want that to be just like your fourth marketing channel and you're like not super committed to it, but you know you probably should be doing it, but you're not really going to allocate a lot of resources and time, then don't don't take a course. But if you're like, hey, I think probate is my, it's going to be my bread and butter. Like I really, really want to dive in and I want to take it seriously and I want to go at it really, really hard. And I'm like 100% committed, then take a course. Okay. Otherwise, I would just kind of figure it out as you go. I don't think it's that complex, to be honest with you. Um, it's a different message. I think uh, in most cases, it's not a postcard message. It's more of a letter message. At least your first attempt to reach out to them. It's a letter. It's a, it has a different tone. Most marketing of real estate investors is, um, hey, my name's Juan. I can buy houses fast for cash. You don't have to do any work. I'll buy it right now. Give me a call. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like really kind of in your face. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit, but that's kind of how we do it as real estate investors. When you're marketing to probate, you have to change that tone. It has to be a much more muted, um, more sympathetic, maybe a little more professional. Like that, that's what you want to convey in those kind of of uh, marketing letters. Okay, and also with with probate, it tends to be more touches in order to to get in there. You know, they're grieving. You don't know when the letter hits. Did you know how, what does that grieving process look like for them? And they just might not be ready to deal with it when you send the first letter, but you continue to reach out softly with sympathy, with empathy, with understanding. And then some people have had a lot of success cold calling. Maybe you send out a marketing piece and then you you call. But again, the call has to be, it can't be heavy handed. Okay. It has to be delicate and you have to be, you know, thoughtful and professional and sympathetic right that it's just a different world so you have to just like take off that aggressive realtor hat that maybe a lot of us wear and and take on a little bit different tone just think of it if if your mother was going to get a call from an investor because your grandmother and grandfather just died or something right and she inherited a property how would you want someone to talk to your mother or your father or your aunt or uncle, whoever, right? How would you want someone to talk to them? What would you want that approach to be? And then that's the probate world. So I'm not huge probate um, guy in terms of like that it hasn't never been a big source of our deals. Um, for whatever reason, we just haven't, we haven't went all in on that. But uh, I, I know a lot of people who do it. And that's the approach, right? That's, that's kind of the world that you're going to be in. So, okay. Hey, Doug. Doug is alive with us, too. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. You're awesome. Uh, what cold, uh, what, oh, I'm sorry. Let me start again. Was cold calling profitable? Uh, do you plan on doing it again? It was profitable. It was our uh, number two lead source for quite a while. Um, we probably will do it again, um, but we were not doing 
radio as much then we were doing more cold calling and less radio and then as the cold calling company started dwindling away we started increasing the radio and so radio started producing a lot better for us so um yeah we'll probably do it again you know that this past time of doing cold calling was probably our third or fourth attempt at cold calling and it in all previous attempts had sort of crashed and burned we didn't do a great job we didn't have a great company the people we hired were not so great and we tried it in-house we tried sourcing it everything this time it just worked a little better i think we just had a company that was doing a good job i don't know why they went out of business frankly i wasn't the one managing them but um we'll probably do it again because i it was profitable enough that it's worth trying again and i just know too many people that are using cold calling and they're crushing it so I, I know that cold calling is effective. So we'll probably do it again. We're just we're just holding off because we're focusing hard on PPC. We're kind of dialing that in a little bit. We're making some adjustments. Google is always changing its algorithms and it, the rules that you have to play by. And so we're we're in there with some folks helping us dial that in and get it real real tight. And we're we're increasing our um, our radio and trying some new things there. And so that you know I'm not a big fan of like doing five or six marketing channels, because I think you end up doing a lot of them sort of poorly because you're not really invested enough in all of them. So we typically stick stick with two or three and we go really hard and really deep into those two or three. And, and that's kind of what we're doing. So we'll do cold calling again, but, and it was profitable. It was certainly worthwhile, but right now radio is doing better than cold calling was doing. So we're not, we're not going back to it right now. Okay, uh, next question. And this will be my last one unless somebody live asks a question real fast. And if they do, Angela, just put it in here above what I'm talking about next. It moves it. And I know I say don't do that, but go ahead and do it because I want to see it if they put it, if they say something live. Otherwise, last question coming up right here. Okay. Uh, I feel... I feel I am at a point where I really need a mentor. This one was was emailed in. I feel like I really need a mentor, but I'm sick of Zoom interactions and would like to find someone local. Do you have any thoughts on the best way of doing this? It's a great question. Um, unfortunately, it's like, you know, it's like if you're running a sports team and you say, I don't want to recruit people from other parts of the country. I just want to recruit from the re recruit from the city that my stadium is in your team is going to be crappy because you just have to the best talent isn't always the talent that's within arm's reach and so my point is you may not have someone locally that's great you may you might and you can go to meetups and, and just start talking to people and talk to a lot of people don't talk to one person who says joe is great you should go talk to joe like that's one person's opinion i would want to get at least a half a dozen people telling me that Joe is the best there is before I even consider having him as a mentor. But the fact of the matter is in the world we're living in, I, I get it. Everyone's sort of got Zoom burnout and I'm not picking on Zoom because I'm I'm on Zoom right now. Like it, it's allowing me to funnel this into Facebook. I'm on Zoom all the time. I get it. The fact of the matter is the best talent, the most qualified mentors, the people who are going to take you to the next level are very likely going to not be in your backyard. And so you have to do something remote or something virtual like this to get in front of them. Like I'm not probably in your backyard, but you know, you're reaching out to me for questions. So in a way I am mentoring you a little bit, right? I'm answering questions for you and I'm not in your backyard. So I wouldn't let your zoom burnout 
um, keep you from achieving everything you can achieve, I guess is the bottom line. And this may be self-serving because at the beginning of this uh, Q&A, I said, I have a program called Seven Figure Investor and you can go check it out. I'm, I'm not in everybody's backyard who's going to sign up for that. But I do think I'm the right person for the people who sign up. I am the right person for them to mentor, coach them, and take them to the next level. I'm interested in making as many seven-figure investors as I can right now. I want to do it now. And so you can jump onto that and, and you can, and you can uh, let me be the guide. Or you can look for someone local and you could have someone great in your market. You totally could. I just... Can't guarantee that there is going to be. Um, all right, Doug, jump back in with a question. How much does radio cost? Uh, I, I don't know offhand. I'd have to go look. Uh, my partner is handling the radio part of it. Um, so I don't know. And I think some of it depends on what you like, what you can negotiate because what they what they quoted us or what their sales, their marketing team asked us to pay is not what we're paying. So we negotiated a price that made sense. And some of that has to do what time of the day can they put you on and what times do you need to be on and what kind of stations are you on? There's a lot of variables. And so I don't think my answer would be that helpful anyway, but I can find out if you really want to know, like, I'll find out if you hop on next week, I can give you a better answer. But it's just like so many variables that it depends on what market you're in, how many listeners that that radio station has, what time of day you're allowing them to put you on, how many slots you commit to or how many months you commit to. You commit to more months, you can drive the price down. Um, are you getting a hold of them at a time of the month where they're desperate to sell the rest of their slots because they hadn't sold them all? Are you getting with them right when you know it's like the time of the month where they have the option to wait out and see if they can find someone who will pay more you know there's just so many things that go into it but i can do my best to get you a reasonable answer if you want to log on and be here next week and ask me again all right guys i'm going to call it we are uh, 32 minutes in it's a pretty good pretty good amount i think we got some good answers out there we got some great participation by the way thank you everybody who participated uh juan doug uh, Mike, Naju, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, you guys make this so worthwhile. It's so much more enjoyable to me to answer live questions, but please keep sending your questions through Instagram, through Facebook, uh, through email. You can email me anytime you want for questions. Just email me at Mike at juststartrealestate.com. And let's make the subject line um, Q&A right? And then you can ask your question and that'll help us find it so we can get it in here and get it answered. And uh, we do a replay of these on Thursdays on my podcast, Just Start Real Estate. If you missed this, you can go check it out there. All right, guys, that's it for tonight. I appreciate you very much and we will see you next week, same time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.